Now arriving, the Let's Talk Train Show. All edition of the Let's Talk Train Show. I am your host, Bob Alkire. And I am Elizabeth Alkire. And this week's topic is going to be the first ever edition of Winter Rail in Corvallis, Oregon. We'll be back shortly. This is the Association of American Railroads Audio Service with a report on the way the nation's freight railroads are building for the future. As the economy grows, so does the need to move raw materials, industrial products, and consumer goods. The vital link in that chain is provided by the nation's freight railroads. And they've taken a look ahead and determined they need to invest more than $160 billion over the next 20 years to carry their share of the load. That's in addition to the more than $200 billion it will cost to maintain the system. The good news is that railroads are already investing record sums, more than $6.6 billion, or almost 20% of revenues in 1999. That's a higher percentage of revenues put into capital improvements than any other industry in America. Railroad officials think they'll be able to increase those investments, thanks to the Staggers Rail Act of 1980 which freed them to compete in the market against each other and against trucks and barges. They say that law has already resulted in improved productivity, lower prices to customers, and more investment. Building on that, railroads are confident they will be able to keep up with the economy's need for even more freight transportation in the future. For the Association of American Railroads, this is Tom White in Washington. Only Donner Rails brings you exclusive railroad action entertainment, giving viewers the best seat in the house as they ride with crews of expedited freight trains over the Sierra Nevada. Check out some of our hot new titles on DVD, like Cab Ride Over Donner Pass. That's good, 97 stop and stretch. See how train concepts are constructed in the famed Roseville Rail Yard. Then climb aboard an EMD SD-60 freight heading east over the mighty Sierra Nevada. When severe winter storms hit the Sierra Nevada's dumping up to 35 feet of snow, look out. Here comes the flanger. Every time you go up and you're on that flanger and you can't see the end of the engine, it will raise the hair on the back of your neck. Catch a ride with the Flanders Night Crew in Winter Rails Over Donner. See many other titles by visiting our website at www.donnerrails.com. And welcome back to the show. This week's edition of Let's Talk Trains, we'll be talking about the first ever Winter Rail in hell, being held in Corvallis, Oregon. After 38 years in California, mostly in Stockton, Vic Nevis announced in 2015 that this would be the last winter rail in California. And that for 2016, he was moving winter rail to Corvallis, Oregon. Take advantage of the fact that when he retired and moved to Albany, and 
there were some issues with the Scottish Rite uh, Center in Stockton, and it would be a whole lot less expensive and hopefully uh, carry its uh, its own um, <laughs> I forgot the word I wanted. Anyhow, it would not be so expensive <clears throat> to um, to operate the show. Uh, when it was announced that Winter Rail would be moving to Corvallis, I have to admit I was a little skeptical. And it was more than a little skeptical. I was a whole lot skeptical. I mean, yes, Corvallis is a college town, but looking at it in terms of how to get there, it's <laughs> Corvallis, to me, was in the middle of nowhere, and I'm going, how does he expect to make this work? Well, to tell you the truth, I was very pleasantly surprised at how well things did go, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, also during the program, we're going to be joined by Chris Ginsler, who is on the line now. And hello, Chris, and welcome to the show. Hey, hello, Bob and Elizabeth. How are you guys doing? Very well, thank you. Doing well. Good. Well, I'll give you the rail mileage for everybody. It's 1,446,116.7. And I'd like right. to tell everybody that all the Winter Rail stories, all four of them, are up on my trip page, the 2011 to present page at www.trainweb.org slash Chris. All right. Very good. So we're going to start off, as Elizabeth and I were making our plans to get to uh, Corvallis to go to Winter Rail, the first thing, of course, was, was could we get there by train? The answer to that was sort of. <laughs> when we looked at the timetables, <clears throat> the first thing was getting down to Corvallis. Um, and that turned out to be a huge problem. Uh, simply put, there is no Amtrak service to Corvallis. Uh, the closest stop is Albany, which is about 10 miles to the east, 15 miles to the east. And there is only one throughway bus that, uh, serve, that links Albany with Corvallis. So that meant we had to take the 730 Amtrak Cascades from Portland, uh, or from uh, Seattle to Portland, connect with the throughway bus to go to Albany, and then connect with another throughway bus to go from Albany to Corvallis. Well, that wasn't workable. And on a return trip, it wasn't going to be much better. Uh, but that, and the reason being is that on Sunday, the McLeod River, or excuse me, the Oregon Coast Scenic was having a steam excursion with the McLeod River 25 uh, between Garibaldi and Wheeler, that ended to 1 o'clock, and then we needed to figure out how we're going to get back to either Portland or Vancouver, Washington, to catch a 6 o'clock Amtrak Cascades. And that was not, that ended up not being a workable solution either. So we decided to split uh, the way we were going to travel to Portland. Elizabeth would take the Amtrak Cascades. It departed from Edmonds at 10.17 a.m. Train 5.13. And that train runs all the way through to Portland. I would drive down and meet her at the station. So, Thursday morning, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. We got everything ready. We took our cat over to the Kitty Hotel, which he was not happy with, and let us know about it. 
Then I took Elizabeth to the Edmonds Amtrak station, where we found out the train was going to be about an hour late because there were two cars that were blocking the crossings in Bellingham. And this train 513 uh, originates in Vancouver, British Columbia. So obviously Bellingham, for those who don't know, is quite a bit north of Edmonds, but it was coming from Vancouver and it got stuck in Bellingham before it could make its continue on its way south. So once we had our train departure time fixed, instead of waiting around, I decided to go ahead and get a, a head start on the train uh, to hopefully be able to get into Portland in plenty of time to make a couple of stops, get into Portland plenty of time to pick up Elizabeth at the train station and check into our hotel. So I left and Elizabeth stayed at the train station and Elizabeth is now going to tell you about her portion of the train trip. Well, I was hoping that there would be a, a couple of freight trains coming through so I could at least see some trains in Edmonds, but no such luck. So I just sat and read magazines until the train 513 arrived about just after 11 o'clock. I boarded and in, uh, took a window seat and enjoyed the trip down to Seattle for a very brief stopover. They made up time. And on to Portland. Uh, it's been quite a few months since I've taken Amtrak Cascades, and I, it was just as wonderful as ever. The, uh, the, the weather was excellent, so we had sun on the Puget Sound as the tracks um, parallel, basically the coastline, and, um, and then, of course, go inland. Went through the Nelson, Nelson Bennett Tunnel just south of Tacoma for probably one of the last times as they are, the DOT are, is doing some work to make the tracks go inland rather than around the, um, the coastline of Tacoma. And just had a nice, pleasant, relaxing trip. Um, we stopped in Vancouver and other stations and then made our way over the bridges over to Portland. Um, we arrived there around 3.30 or so, and um, Bob had managed to drive to Portland, check into the hotel, and take Max over to the station. So there we arrived, detrained, and we were walking over to the, um, the nearest Max station, because our plans were to ride Westside Express from Beaverton to Wilsonville. Then Chris Ginsler calls us and says that Chris Parker, another, a, friend, a, a mutual friend, um, had, was also at Union Station. So we walked the one and a half blocks back to the station, met up with him, and the three of us took Max um, to Beaverton, and then we rode the Westside Express. And the timing couldn't have been better. We got off Max, walked over to the, to the West, Westside Express, and no sooner had we got on than we were, we were on the go for some new mileage for both of us, actually all three of us. The trip on the Westside Express was uh, quite uneventful. We had a, a nice trip uh, to Wilsonville where we detrained, took a few pictures, Saw the saw the shops, but did not did not have a chance to arrange any tours. We did see the um, the backup trains for the West Side Express. Uh, West Side Express is four trains of Colorado um, rail car diesel multiple units. 
They can run in one car and two car sets. The train we rode was the one car set. We passed uh, a, a train of two car set, and we also passed another train that was a, a single car set, which kind of surprised me because this was in rush hour, and even though our train was not full uh, going down, coming back, there were enough passengers that I easily could have uh, filled a, a two-car train. Um, we returned to uh, Beaverton, walked across the, the transit center, got on a blue line train to uh, Gateway Center where we transferred to the red line. We detrained at Park Rose, Sumner, Trans uh, Sumner Transit Center, while Chris Parker went on to the airport and met up with Chris Ginsler. Um, from there, we walked off, walked over to Elmer's after getting settled into the hotel. And as we were leaving from our supper, guess who showed up? Chris Ginsler and Chris Parker to have their dinner. So that was our Friday, our Thursday, um, Thursday adventures. Friday, we started off with uh, heading down to Winter Rail with our trip. We got up way too early, <laughs> and. Drove from uh, drove from our house, our hotel down to the Oregon Rail Heritage Center, where we met up with Chris Ginsler and Chris Parker. From there, we walked over to the uh, 32nd Street or Water Street OMSI uh, station, where we took the Max Orange Line down to uh, Milwaukee, Oregon. And this was uh, new mileage for all of us. New mileage well. for all of us. As you can probably gather, we are mileage collectors. And because this line had opened last September, and mm. uh, none of us had been able to be, had had an opportunity to go to Portland before now. So. <clears throat> After a brief layover at the end of the line, we boarded the same train we were on and rode back to the South Waterfront South Moody Station, where we detrained, walked across the street, to a station with the same name, South Waterfront, South Moody. But this time, we took a Portland streetcar on the B Loop to Northwest Johnson Street. Uh, we got off, we walked over a block, and took the A Loop of the Portland streetcar from Northwest Johnson Street, basically retracing the steps, uh, retracing the steps we had taken on the B Loop, but on a different set of streets and rode to Portland State University. After a brief layover at Portland State University, we got on a uh, Max Orange Line train, read back, uh, rode back to Water Street, OMSI, got off the train, completed, completing several, or completing both loops of the Portland streetcar, and finishing up um, the ride on the Orange Line. After that, Chris, our Chris Ginsler had arranged for us to meet with Arlen Sheldrake at the Oregon Heritage Rail Center, and we got a wonderful tour of, of ORHF, and we'll let Elizabeth tell you about that. Okay. Well, and it Oregon was a Rail private tour. Yes. It was a private tour because it was not open at that time. Right. The Oregon Rail Heritage Center is the home of three steam engines, um, Southern Pacific 4449, Spokane, Portland, and Seattle 700, and Oregon Railroad and Navigation number 197. 
The first two of those are restored and operable. The center opened to the public September 2012. So Arlen gave us a, a very nice private tour. We took lots of photographs, and there was also there was Doyle McCormick's nickel, um, Alco PA-1 that's painted up in nickel plate colors. Nickel plate road 190. Yes. Ex-Santa Fe uh, PA-152L. Thank you for the technical details there. Um, it had been about three years since Bob and I had been there, and one of the new additions was um, a wall with um, a, a timeline of light rail in Portland and the history of light rail in Portland, which was very interesting, as well as the map of the Southern Pacific Southern Pacific's Brooklyn Rail Yard, which used to be the home of the aforementioned steam engines. Um, there was also a model of the SP Brooklyn Roundhouse there. And then outside were um, various passenger cars and observation cars of the Friends of 4449. In the rear area of the Oregon Rail Heritage Center was the nickel plate RSD-1 324, actually RSD-5. RSD-5. And that's also owned by Doyle McCormick. And then while we were there, um, a couple of Portland streetcars crossed over the bridge over the Oregon Rail Heritage Center, and Chris managed to get the photos of them going over the Nickel Plate Road RSD-5. Also, we happened to see a couple of light engine moves on the Union Pacific, shuttling back and forth between Brooklyn Yard and Albina Yard up north of Portland. And also right next to the, the Heritage Center is the main line of the Oregon Pacific Railroad, which is the short line, runs between uh, Portland and Canby, Oregon. And it also has another... Another branch, and I right at the moment, unfortunately, I forget where that is. Um, there was not anything there at at, uh, at the railroad center, but we did encounter their, one of their locomotives down at Canby. Also, as we crossed the um, crossed the street to get to the Oregon Rail Heritage Center, we walked across the or walked next to the only diamond, as far as we know, in the world that where a light rail line crosses a class two, class three um, short line. So Bob, that was Bob. was pointed out to us. Yes. Yeah. In Memphis, the streetcar crosses the Illinois, former Illinois Central, now CN main line. Okay. So. Okay. So with our tour completed... It was off to go photograph covered bridges, locomotives, steam engines, stations, and other sites. So we got in our car, headed off. Our first stop was the McDonald's at Canby, Oregon, for lunch. And then off to the eastern end of Canby, where we found the Oregon and Pacific uh, GMB SW9-1202. Huh? Northern end of Canby. 
northern end of Canby, sorry. So we took okay. a number of pictures of those, which, by the way, that um, the Oregon Pacific 1202 has been rebuilt into an SW-1200R. Okay, so from there we headed uh, to Canby, where we found the Canby Station, uh, which has a caboose, has a restored Southern Pacific Station. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite opened yet, so we didn't get to look around inside, but uh, it does have some very nice, uh, very nice semaphore signal there, as well as a caboose and a switch stand. And a wigwag. A wigwag. And we also saw the um, speeder car garage, and they also have a telephone uh, box displayed there. Right. From there, we uh, drove south to Woodburn to see Southern Pacific 2601785 on display, where there is also a wigwag uh, beside the steam engine and a semaphore signal. And it was here that we ran into a little bit of a problem. Our car had developed a flat tire. So help, what do we do now? Well, Chris Parker was very helpful. And um, well, th through my cell phone and Chris Parker, we found a tire dealer, and he phoned around a couple of other places and found prices for us. So we phoned AAA, got a, uh, got a tow to the Les Schwab dealer in Woodburn. and um, While I was having my tire fixed, Elizabeth... Well, hold on. First, I took Elizabeth over to St. Luke's High St. Luke's School where on their property they had the Woodburn Station. So we got our yes. pictures of that. Then yes, Bob sent us off, and we headed first to Mount Angel, where there was a wonderful Southern Pacific Station. We then headed out to the Galleon Road Covered Bridge, got pictures of that. Yes. Then we went into Silverton and shot the Silverton Depot. From there, we went to Lebanon and shot the Lebanon Depot. Now, I had to do some research on this because what struck me about the Lebanon Depot was there was a BN sign there. So my research then told me the Southern Pacific had built the line in the Lebanon but the line from there to Sweet Home and on to Powers, which no longer exists past Sweet Home, was built by the Oregon and Electric and then was later served by the Burlington Northern since they can, the SP&S gained control of that line. And then the uh, uh, BN controlled it after that. So that's why that BN sign was at that location. Then from here, there, we drove to Sweet Home, and we got the uh, shot two covered bridges there, which I'm going to look up right now because I can't remember their exact names. Oh. Okay, and while you're doing that, Chris, we need to take a commercial break. Okay, take a commercial break. All right. Join us and help us make the American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation better than ever. Your membership will help us further enhance our exhibits and attractions in north-central Missouri, including the Let's Talk Train Show. 
Our goal is to set up a museum dedicated to passenger rail history, including Amtrak, located in La Plata, Missouri. Memberships and contributions from friends like you will help us achieve this goal. For more information about the American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation, membership, and opportunities available, visit our website, www.aprhf.org. Are you tired of having to click and click and click to watch train videos on the web? Well, why don't you do what I did and give your fingers a break? TheRailChannel.com has great shows every week. They show contemporary and vintage programs that focus on real railroading and model railroads. If it runs on rails, I'm sure you'll find it on the Rail Channel. The programs are updated every Monday, and best of all, you can sit and watch it in full screen with only one click. Head on over to TheRailChannel.com right now. That's all one word, TheRailChannel.com. Watch it. Operation Lifesaver presents a 60-second lesson in common sense. Deodorant is not a shower. It's wrong to feed a baby salsa. Don't wear a kilt on a windy day. Never ask a bride why she's wearing white. Don't keep mouthwash next to the antifreeze. Heave on hoe, not on heave. Don't sniff a green sausage. Close your mouth when you hang glide. Don't tap dance on the roof in an ice storm. Don't go swimming in leather pants. If you're in a parade, wave. Never eat a burrito before a road trip. Don't wear lace to a rodeo. One's a malt ball, one's a moth ball. Always walk with pie. Never practice nunchucks in a crowded room. Never leave a plant near the litter box. Don't buy sushi on sale. Flowers with thorns make lousy corsages. Don't put a knock-knock joke in a eulogy. Cherry chapstick doesn't taste as good as it smells. Always take your shirt off before you iron it. Do I look fat? The answer is no. And most importantly, never, ever, ever forget your common sense around railroad tracks. A train can come from any direction, on any track, at any time. A message from Operation Lifesaver. Visit commonsenseuseit.com. And we're back for this week's edition of the Let's Talk Train Show. I'm Bob Alkire, and Elizabeth is with me, along with Chris Ginsler, and we're talking about our visit to the first ever winter rail in Corvallis, Oregon. So Elizabeth going and Chris are going to continue telling uh, telling you about where they uh, where they are. We're off to while I was having my flat tire fixed. Okay, well, we went to Sweet Home, and we shot the Weddell cover bridge. This one built in 1937. And right next to it, there's a little Dahlberg covered bridge. It's a mini cover bridge, which was built in 18, 1989. We made a stop at, for me at the A&W, since I don't eat pizza. And then from there, we drove on to Corvallis. Our first stop was Avery Park where we shot the Georgia Pacific 262 number 5 on display there. Then we got lucky where we got the Corvallis switcher coming down the street, which was Portland Western GP39 2305. And once he cleared, then the Toledo hauler came. And what was interesting about this train, it had two other former Southern Pacific GP40Ps on it. So you had the 3001, you had the RPD ED101, that's the booster, then the GP39 302310, an RPD4ED102, and then the other GP40P-2, which... For some reason, I left off the number in the story. That's interesting. 33,002. 
So from there, we went back two blocks where we found the Willamette Valley and Railroad Depot, which had Southern Pacific, uh, I mean, SPNS Pullman 2427 to Cornwall, and then SPNS Baggage Car 91. We checked into our room at the Corvallis Budget Inn. Our friend, we waited for our friend Gordon to show up, and then we went to Corvallis High School where we met Bob. Right. Then we and all went to I, the rail fan and railroading Friday night pizza and slideshow. And I've always had an affinity for covered bridges. Um, first one I ever saw was back in 2004, I think, in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. And that was just such a tranquil area. It was just beautiful. And I, I mean, obviously I knew there were covered bridges in Vermont and New Hampshire and places. But I hadn't realized there were any in Oregon. And then Chris pointed me to the website. I believe it's called OregonCoveredBridges.org or something like that. And he found these covered bridges. So my, um, over the course of Friday and Saturday, we saw six, six covered bridges, which I was very happy at or with. And the, um, the Weddell covered bridge was quite unique in the fact that the sides are not fully um, covered, they're, I'm not up on the details of this, and uh, I'm not that good at descriptions, but they've got um, di- diagonal slats in the side of the walls of the bridge, so you can see through. So that Which was, basically those slats are support beams. Right. That's a technical person talking. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, and the weather improved greatly for this. Uh, so it was warm, it was sunny, it was almost the first day of spring, and I just enjoyed myself a lot there. And of course, the um, seeing the Corvallis switcher and the Toledo hauler was uh, a complete bonus for us, and made a nice end to our voyage or our trip down to Corvallis. And the interesting thing about this, which um was has not been mentioned is that the um Willamette and Pacific or Portland and Western, excuse me, um runs down the middle of the street in Corvallis. And one of the last places one of the few places that still has street running. Right. So then after the um when we got there, um the pizza had basically all been eaten but Bob had saved us a few pieces. And so after that we um the doors of the theater opened just around 6 o'clock, and um, everyone who was there took their seats in the theater. Now, this is at the Corvallis yeah. High School, and it was a vast improvement on the uh, Stockton venue. I mean, the seats yes, were comfortable. the sound system and the seats were very comfortable. Yeah. And here's what they showed at the Friday night pizza party. Bruce Kelly showed his time in the East during his rail fan days. Next, Wayne Monger showed the Powder River Basin, which was quite interesting. David Land's show was a Country Roads, which was very nicely done. Greg Malloy's Ecuador, which included some Baldwin Narrowgate steam engines, was fascinating. Uh, Mike Pen- Peckner went over time in showing his Northwestern Pacific 2001 to the present. 
unfortunately he used up too much time. That was followed by Steve Barry's A Trip to Eastern Europe, which was incredible because he took us from uh, Berlin to um, Poland to the Ukraine, Ukraine and then Chernobyl. And the Chernobyl part was extremely sad, but it was a good show. After a break, Mike Stephen J. Brown showed via the Skeena, which was fantastic. Big Ness showed why I moved to Oregon, which is good. Charlie Lang showed his popsicle time with the four daylight solar units. And then I had to rush through my year in the life of trains in the life of Chris Genzo, which brought the evening to a close at 10.08. So that and was the Friday night pizza party. Some of the details about some of these programs. Greg Malloy's Ecuador uh, was about primarily about the Guayaquil and Quito uh, Railroad, which serves, which runs between namesake cities, Guayaquil and Quito in Ecuador. Um, it is still mostly steam, although they do, it is still steam in fact, although they do share... Um, the tracks with with Tren Ecuador, which is um, a, a revised version of the Ecuador railroads. Uh, the the country has, or the government of Ecuador, has spent a lot of money <laughs> to um, improve the infrastructure of, of their rail of their railroads, and they have spent a lot of money revamping their passenger train service. Where so that in addition to the the usual passenger trains, second class passenger trains which hauls everything, the first class class passenger trains are all basically guided guarantee or they are directed toward the tourist trade, especially the high end tourist trade. Um, it's <clears throat> I guess the best thing you could compare it to would be the um, the Canadian Whistler, the um, Rocky Mountaineer. Rocky Mountaineer, yes, that runs up in Canada. Um, let's see. As as Chris said, Steve Barry's trip was or a trip in Eastern Europe was fascinating. We got to see all number of trains, and Steve, being very creative uh, in his photography, showed. Uh, um, Showed the trains from a number of positions, different angles that were um, showed a lot of the scenery. Uh, uh, the Chernobyl was just shots were incredible. It's just amazing to see how desolate that is and how everything is just uh, just basically as is when you know um, letting nature take over. Yes, and nothing's nothing's changed. You know, the event happens and. Everything just had to be left. Just yeah. had to be left. And and they still do, uh, even to this date, many, many years after the, the explosion, they're still, they still have problems with radiation in the area. So it was, as Chris said, it was very sad, but very insightful and very interesting to see what happened. Saturday morning, we got up. Had a um, quick breakfast at McDonald's. McDonald's breakfast. Mm-hmm. Then and then we drove headed west to on Chitwood. Highway 20 out to Chitwood. 
Chitwood for the Chitwood Cover Bridge built in 1926. From now, there, along the way, interestingly the, enough, uh, we were paralleling a lot of the route that uh, the Portland and Western Toledo hauler runs by. So, unfortunately, no train, but still very interesting and very scenic. Yeah, then we went to the Harris Cover Bridge built in 1936. Then we drove back to Corvallis and parked at the fairground, and Elizabeth and I and Chris Parker made the longest walk of our career to the Irish Bend Cover Bridge built in 1954. That was on the University of Oregon State campus. And then, of course, we went by some dangerous llamas both ways, but then we ended up shooting the Southern Pacific Corvallis Station it used to be at 6 and Monroe Street before becoming an old spaghetti factory. And I'm going to let you guys go. You guys can tell them all about Wind Rail and the Oregon Coast Excursion. So it's been a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. All right. Have a good one, Chris, so and thanks have, for And have the rest us. of a great show. Yeah, you okay. got it. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 All right. So after we finished with our covered bridges... Our next stop was Winter Rail. The um, Winter Rail, for those most of you probably already know, Winter Rail is probably the oldest, or is not probably, is the oldest and probably the finest um, combination of swap meet and media presentation uh, there is. Uh, Winter Rail started this whole idea of combined uh, swap meet and media presentations. For 38 years, Winter Rail was held in California, most of which was at Stockton, as I said earlier, at the Scottish Rite Center. But when Vic Nevis retired from the post office, he decided to move to Albany, Oregon. For a couple of years after that, Winter Rail was continued to be held in Stockton, but it was just, for, for Vic, it was just way too expensive to continue the commute to Oregon and declining patronage and declining ben- vendors meant if Winter Rail was going to survive, it had to go and be relocated. So last year, 2015 in March, was the last Winter Rail held in Stockton, California. This year, this past weekend, the brand new Winter Rail being held in Corvallis, Oregon started. And And I should say that Winter Rail, while... Vic Nevis is the originator of it. Um, there are many other people who are involved and without whom Winter Rail wouldn't occur. Um, one of them being Vic's wife, Annie, uh, associate producer, Evan Workimer, who did his usual um, bang-up job, for want of a better expression, that's a British expression, of doing all the technical um, sound and lighting and Running, making sure all the programs ran smoothly. Um, also, there are various uh, other people who uh, accompany Vic and also help out on various aspects of Winter Rail. They're called the Roadies. And they are Don Agnelli, Mika and Paul Jarmus, Janet McCormick, Janet and Gil Dominguez, Ronnie and Pat Torres, Tom Messer, Kevin Dawn, Ryan Martin, and Linda Monger. And as Elizabeth said, without the roadies, 
um, Winter Rail would not exist. They are the folks who really keep everything coordinated, and they work with the vendors to make sure the tables are set up and they're properly where they are. Um, they also help with crowd control. They constantly circulate around, checking for problems, etc. I don't envy them for the jobs they do. And, and, and also a real shout-out to Evan Workema for all of his technical wizardry. It's just amazing what he can put together and handle everything and keep it all coordinated and running and make it look simple. So first, before they started with the presentations, as I said, Winter Rail is also a swap meet. And it was going to be an interesting project to see how this was all going to work out because in the Scottish Rite um, Center in Stockton, the um, vendors were all spread out. I mean, there were they were in three locations, and it was it was it was a challenge to try and get everything done working between shows. And there were a couple of times when we had to to skip shows uh, in order to be able to see what vendors were where and what they had and what we were interested in in purchasing and the like. This year. The vendors were all coordinated in a single location in the um, entryway, the foyer at Corvallis High School. And it made it really convenient if you wanted to do a quick look around to circulate through the vendors and see who was there and what they had to offer. During, the, during the breaks of the show. During the breaks. And also then to come back later and spend more time at whatever vendor particularly interested you. Right. The, um, the swap meet went from 9 till 5, and the, uh, the shows started at noon. The theater opened at 11, and the show started actually at 12.15 and, so, went, and went till 10 o'clock. So as, as one can see, and, and between each show, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, between each show there is a 15-minute intermission so that it is possible to take a quick run out to a vendor, find whatever it is you want, run back and not miss a show, which you really couldn't do at Stockton. So it was it was well thought out, well planned, and well arranged. So now we'll start with the shows. Right. Um, the first show we were both interested in, uh, we live just north of Seattle in Linwood, Washington, and the first show was Farewell to Simpson Lumber by Joel Hawthorne. And Simpson Lumber operated in the um, on the peninsula in the Shelton. Um, it was yeah Shelton Aberdeen Hoquiam area, so it was basically in our backyard. And this was really interesting. Um, not only was it um, sort of the history and pictures throughout the tenure of Simpson Lumber, which um, they've run for, um, just looking at the program here, I believe it was over 100 years. I don't want to say that for certain because I offhand I'm not sure. But um, it was also, so he had recorded um, video of a run. So it was, it was great to be able to hear the locomotives and see everything in operation as well as the static photographs. 
Um, I should mention that winter, um, a winter rail program is um, given to everybody as, attending yeah, the shows, or as as they enter the as they enter and register, and it gives a little brief paragraph on the person's presentation, and then a little piece about each presenter. And with that, we will take a break and be back in two minutes. And it's being slow. Now available, 3D Train Stuff's new Donner Pass route, the High Sierra Crossing for Microsoft Train Simulator. This new add-on features a 90-mile segment of Southern Pacific's scenic overland route, which runs over the High Sierra Mountains between Colfax, California, and Truckee, California. And it's set back in the 1950s at the height of the steam and diesel transition period. Yes, now you can step back in time and learn firsthand what it took to get a heavy fruit block train over the hill from the engineer's seat of a big AC cab forward mallet, or pull helper service duty with one of SB's famous 280 consolidations, or maybe you prefer running an express mail train on a very tight schedule with some SP Black Widow funnets. Yes, it's a blast from the past. To learn more about this exciting new product, please visit our website at www.3dtrainstuff.com or call us at 1-760-728-1787. That's 760-728-1787. 3D Train Stuff. It's more than just trains. Trainparty.com, the one-stop shopping center for all things trains and parties for kids of all ages. TrainParty.com is a complete resource for the train-themed party supplies, favors, toys, and gifts. TrainParty.com has over 700 railroad-related party items to choose from. Themes such as Amtrak Train, Little Chug Party, Whistle Stop Party, and many more make it simple to select a theme and get your party rolling down the rails. Items available include party wear, games, puzzles, balloons, piñatas, invitations, locomotive engineer costumes, hats, railway series children's books, train cake pans, cupcakes, etc. Don't forget now, trainparty.com on the web for any of your train-themed party needs from start to finish. It's the only place you need to go to get what you want and need. Check it out now, trainparty.com. And we're back with the Let's Talk Train show for this week. We are talking about the first winter rail to be held in, in Oregon at Corvallis High School this past weekend, and we're talking about some of the shows that we presented. After a farewell to the Simpson Lumber Railroad, we had uh, David Lang present his program entitled Siskiyou Swan Song. This was a program that stepped back in time to the days of the Southern Pacific Railroad when they ran trains over the Siskiyou line. Now, the Siskiyou line, there's two main lines in Oregon, or there's two lines in Oregon that the Southern Pacific used. The first was the Siskiyou line. That was the original line that was built. And then there is the bypass. Um, the bypass was built simply because the Siskiyou line had too many mountains and too many curves. But can Southern Pacific continue to use it as a, main, or as a uh, secondary main line simply because there was a lot of business there uh, on the line. So Southern Pacific had tunnel motors, SD9s, 
all kinds of power. Any kind of power that SP had, you could see working on this line. Now, this isn't just anywhere on the line. We're talking about a winding alignment and steep grades of the infamous Siskiyou line. In scenes that surround the center, or the blah. in scenes that started with the recession, began in 1980, we got a glimpse of what the final years of heavy traffic were on the Siskiyou branch between 1978 and 1982. There was also a shot on the Spirit of the West which was a shipper special train that was powered by uh, 44-49. And finally, the last of the line before it was sold off to the Central Oregon and Pacific. After a little intermission, we had Autumn Days and Autumn Nights by Steve Carter. Now, this was a um, very interesting and uh, enjoyable program. It was a collection of images and time-lapse photography from, from the golden part of the year, featuring, featuring locations around the Pacific Northwest as well as Arizona. Um, living in the Seattle area, we saw quite a lot of Seattle um, scenes and area scenes, and his photography is excellent. One, um, while I've, we've both been through the... Um, the cantilever bridge at Stylacombe, uh, south of Tacoma, many times on Amtrak. I've never seen it uh, be raised um, because it's a bridge um, that raises for boats. And he had um, quite a section on time-lapse photography over, a, I suppose, I don't know how. A long, number of days. A number of days of it, in its, of it being down various trains going back and forth, then it lifting up, boats going by, ducks, um, and everything else, and seagulls and stuff. It was just, it was, in, it was amusing, and it was fun, and it was wonderful. Um, really enjoyed that. And I believe, because we saw so many programs in the course of um, 10 hours, but I'm, yes, this, um, this program also included two shots of something we never expected to see at the Winter Rail. The Great Northern and Cascade Railway in Skykomish, Washington, where we both volunteer at. It's a live steam railroad um, that's, whose fourth year of operation is going to start April 30th. Shameless plug for them. Um, but we saw a couple of shots in Steve's program from the Great Northern and Cascade, which we were nice, pleasantly surprised at. And the nice thing is it was really interesting to see that since uh, Winter Rail has moved to Oregon, most of the, or a lot of the programs were Pacific Northwest programs. The presenters are Pacific, North, Pacific Northwest residents. residents. So it was, it's, it was really nice to see a lot of Pacific Northwest scenes, especially around the Seattle area. So our next program was called Weather the Weather by Charles Dishinger. Um, Charles Dishinger is one of these people who feels that if the weather is bad, it's a great day to go take pictures. And this was, this was some really fantastic pictures that he had taken in the rain and the snow. Um, the idea for Weather the Weather came about while he was working on a, another project. And he noticed that a majority of the pictures that were chosen were taken on what most people would consider a bad day for photography. 
It was those same less than ideal situations of rain, fog, cloud, snow, or the fact that the sun was not behind his back that made these make these pictures interesting. Weather is the one unifying element that brought all of the pictures together, and this was the inspiration for the show. And remember, you can't catch a rainbow without the rain. And as again, like I said, it was just, he went through basically all four elements, um, rain, fog, snow, um, clouds, clouds, and, and the, the elements were fantastic, especially his night shots. Um, the night shots in the rain, a couple of the night shots in the snow were just, they just blew me away. So it was, it was, uh, it was it was well worth the, uh, the the time and effort in the program. After that, the next program was titled "Urban Rail Transit is Boring," which actually it's not. But there's a little um, a little story to this one. Um, this program was inspired by a program that was shown at 2010. Um, Chris Gopal and Kevin Sheridan showed San Francisco uh, Muni sites, which inspired Dave Dave Honan, who is a photographer, to go around and photograph uh, transit in what would probably not be considered normal circumstances. In other words, find situations where transit photographs are just not boring. In other words, don't take your basic station shots, or if you do, take them from a different angle. And that's what made this program so interesting and so neat. Um, it was all over the country. There were pictures, or there were uh, pic- yeah, pictures from from New York, from Chicago, from San Francisco, Seattle, um, I think Los Angeles, Portland, uh, Portland, and. Every single picture was not what one would call your stock image of a transit system. Um, some of the Portland or some of the Seattle pictures were taken at the International District Station, where you could go up overhead um, and shoot down onto the platform, since this is where the International District, where the Seattle Transit Tunnel ends. Um, the New York scenes, many of them were sandwiched, be- shots were sandwiched between buildings. And in addition to the um, transit pictures, he also went into the, sh- was able to access the shops and take a number of pictures of, of equipment, uh, equipment being serviced. And there was even a training film from the Montreal Fire Department about how to deal with emergencies in a subway. Uh, a very interesting program, and definitely showing that transit was not boring. After another break, we had um, Evan Workamer showing Growing Up Albuquerque. Now, this was a very interesting program and fun. Um, he made it fun anyway. But he grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and... Um, Uh, Albuquerque in the 80s and 90s was just a one-horse town with a ghost of a shop complex, a sleepy freight yard, an Amtrak station, and a daily train count that seldom broke the double digits. 
To the north were semaphores and steep grades on the original main line, and to the south were the, was the relative bustle of Belen and the freight main. Albuquerque was a great place to grow up if you liked the Santa Fe, and Evan did. Um, he made it. He made it very interesting, and to a certain degree comical, yes. because <laughs> a lot of his a lot of his slides, as he explained, was he would go around to photograph trains in the Albuquerque area while listening to a Spanish radio station to improve his high school Spanish or improve his Spanish for his high school Spanish class. So we received, a, or we saw a number of photographs of Santa Fe trains to a soundtrack of Mexican country and Western music. Um, so after that, there was the... Um, the One of the interesting things is while he was growing up, he was showing all of these trains. He then, after having left Albuquerque, he then came back and showed what had taken place since he left which included um, the um, Sunrunner, Sunrail? Um, rail the Runner. Rail Runner, the New Mexico Rail Runner, which serves, um, which is a commuter line that runs between Santa Fe through Albuquerque and down to Belen. Um, and also detoured a little bit, went down, showed the Belen shops, which is a major, the Santa Fe's major shop for that area. Um, and there was one other thing, and I cannot remember what, but anyhow. Uh, so, it, oh, yes, he showed the fire that destroyed the original uh, Santa Fe Harvey House station after the Hotel Alvarado had long since been torn down, and the rebuilt uh, Alvarado Transportation Center, which serves now serves Amtrak, New Mexico Rail Runner, uh, Albuquerque city buses, as well as inter city, in, the inner city buses that run through Albuquerque. So after another short break, we had the Winter Rail Shorts, which was a Chicago Rail Song by Steve Brown, which Bob um, liked very much, naturally, having grown up in the Chicago area. And another very interesting presentation, the California State Railroad Museum in the Beginning by Hunter Lose. The interesting thing about the Chicago Rail Song presentation was this was all shot through the eyes of a teenager. And the California State Railroad Museum, in the beginning, was a movie um, about how the uh, much of the very first equipment that came to the California State Railroad Museum was moved from its storage center uh, to the museum grounds. With that, we will take a break and be back. Join us and help us make the American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation better than ever. Your membership will help us further enhance our exhibits and attractions in north-central Missouri, including the Let's Talk Train Show. Our goal is to set up a museum dedicated to passenger rail history, including Amtrak, located in La Plata, Missouri. Memberships and contributions from friends like you will help us achieve this goal. For more information about the American Passenger Rail Heritage Foundation, membership, and opportunities available, visit our website, www.aprhf.org. 
now arriving the Let's Talk Train Show. All with the Let's Talk Train show, which is being taped on March the 24th, 2016. I am Elizabeth Olkaya, along with my husband, Bob, and we are discussing Winter Rail 2016, the 38th edition of Fame from Corvallis, Oregon. Um, after the shorts were the three favorites, which were three pictures um, submitted or yeah, three pictures submitted by however many people wanted to submit. Then there was a dinner break, and um, we had about a two-and-a-half-hour dinner break, and there are plenty of restaurants in Corvallis, and I had done some research and found an Elmer's very close by, not even a five-minute drive, and we had an excellent dinner, um, and then returned back to the high school and um, just... Still had plenty of time left before the yep. show started. So. so Chris and I walked off our dinner and... Um, Bob went and found himself some dessert. <laughs> and Chris Parker and Bob Gorman, um, I'm not sure what they did, but they had fun, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, so we all congregated back at the theater for the evening presentations. Um, but before the presentations continued, there was the photo contest winners. Um, every year with Winter Rail, there is a photo contest. There is black and white and color, both in recreational and revenue. And the um, voting opens at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, ends at 5, and then the photo contest winners were announced. Um, I've, one of the, I think one or two of the um, pictures that I had voted for won. Um, it was difficult to choose between two of the color recreational ones. Um, just fantastic pictures. Anyway, I'm pretty sure the one that I chose won, but I don't remember. And then um, for the past number of years, I'm not 38 or 37 because this is the 38th Winter Rail, um, there is the Hall of Fame presentation. And previous um, on recipients have included people such as Richard Steinheimer, um, his wife, Shirley, Shirley Berman. Berman. Um, I'm trying to remember the plaque that I saw a week ago. <laughs> yes. Many other people, and I'm sorry to anyone who attended Winter Rail who's listening, that I don't remember previous recipients. I think uh, one of the names I remember was the photographer Blair Kuistra. Um Evan Workema, Evan Workema uh, Dick, Nevis, Dick Nevis, and um, I'm sure Ken Meeker. Ted, Ted Benson, Ken yes. Meeker, yes. among others. Yes. Anyway, among others. And this year's recipient was Tom Savio from the Los Angeles area. And he, I think he has attended every winter rail that has been. 
one of the few people who actually has been to every single winter rail program. The first um, presentation of the evening, well, actually, before the presentation, um, while they would, we were a bit ahead of time. So Evan um, found in the archives of Winter Rail um, a few in, uh, very amusing commercials. Um, I, we remembered the, well, um, when we were, the last Winter Rail we were at in 2013, there were a couple of really interesting and funny ones about the origins of the name Winter Rail. It was like Winty Rail, and it was, you had to be there to appreciate it, but it was fantastic. Oh yes, and while we were there, we also picked up our uh, our annual um, slide oil container, uh, which was another uh, commercial for a non-existent product. Uh, those of us who still have slides uh, have occasionally run into slides sticking and not dropping all the way down. Well, in order to solve that problem. All you need is a simple coating of slide oil. Put it on your slides and watch the oil drip all over and ruin your picture. So that and there was a commercial about the galloping goose and I believe one other and it just had everyone in stitches. It was just, it was just a fun um, fun little break and, or time filler. And then 2013, I really remember, or I, um, there was a Kodachrome one as well, because that's when I think Kodachrome stopped making their slide film. Yes. Anyway, back to the presentations. Um, Elrond Lawrence. Um, he 30 years of Chico and me. Elrond grew up in Southern California and has spent um, most of his life photographing trains on the uh, Santa Fe Railway. Um, it was a very interesting program, much of it based in Southern California where Elrond grew up. I always, I always look forward to Elrond's presentations because you can generally count on some pretty spectacular photography. And Elrond did not disappoint in this particular instance. Um, he had some really interesting shots of tunnels being daylighted so they could connect the third, or they could build the third track through uh, Cajon Pass. Uh, he had some wonderful night shots uh, along Cajon Pass as the third track was being built, as well as in other locations. Um, to me, this was the second best program of the whole the whole rail fair. The best one came next. Yes, it did. <laughs> This was entitled Searchlights, Signal Bridges, and Cantilevers by Dick Dawn. And it was a tour of both Western Pacific and Southern Pacific Railroads and their signal systems, taking a look back at the classic signal installations on both roads and jumping forward to the PTC era and his documentation of the final searchlight installations with an emphasis on night digital photography. For those not familiar with Winter Rail, let me just explain that some of the presentations are just narrated, whether it be pre-recorded narration or someone actually narrating as the um, pictures are being um, purveyed, I know that's not the right word, but I can't think right now, onto the screen. Others put music to it, and I have to admit that some music does not fit the presentation and the subject, but this was incredible. It, I 
yes. I mean, the music was just absolutely perfect. The photography was fantastic. And he did it, the, he did it, the introduction was like a film, you know. He had the title, starring, um, written by, props by, etc. And he um, played on words um, to the nth degree, and it was, you know, the whole program was fantastic. I'll let Bob... No? No, that was... Um... That was the Siskiyou one where he oh. did the yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Where he did the the starring and the props and all of that and all of that introduction. Um, okay, sorry, <laughs> I, my it's been five days since we got back from Winter Rail and I've been very busy and I don't my mind is not being good to me. <laughs> uh, but if you have ever seen any of Dick Dorn's photography, um, this was probably. The the best I have seen uh, of of the photography of his photographs. Um, everything was ninety nine percent of his uh, prints were night shots of of um, of the, the the various types of signals. And I mean the 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 shots of the night with the Milky Way with the lights. Some shots in the fog with the um, the light, the, the the colored various aspects of the signals uh, piercing, through. piercing through the fog. Uh, they were just, it was just an absolutely spectacular piece of photography. And I hope um, they can somehow figure out a way for Dick to bring this to a traveling uh, show and take it to other venues because seriously, do not, if you get a, ever get a chance to see this show, do not miss it. The night photography is just spectacular. After a break, we had the penultimate show of the night, the McLeod River Rails by Jeff Moore. And this was one I was really looking forward to, um, mainly because we were, the next day the Oregon Coast Scenic was going to be putting on their first annual winter rail or post-winter rail photographer special with McLeod Railway Number 25. Now, I had never ridden behind McLeod 25 before, and I knew very little, if anything, about the McLeod Railroad. So in March 1896, a group of San Francisco-based businessmen consolidated a couple of failed lumber operations into their McLeod River Lumber Company. On the night of January 16, 2010, the Shasta Sunset Dinner Train made its final run. Between these two bookends lies the history of railroading in the picturesque timber town of McLeod, California, nestled against the southeast flank of Mount Shasta. Life in McLeod for 80 years revolved around the largest pine sawmills operating on the west coast and the railroads, the lumber company, and the closely associated McLeod River Railroad hauled logs from the woods into the mill and cast away lumber, boxes, doors, and other products to connections with three main, connecting mainline railroads. The recessionary years of the late 1970s decimated northeastern California's timber industry and sparked a long downward spiral on the railroad's fortunes. However, new freight revenue sources derived from strenuous marketing efforts and the launch of the sunset, Shasta Sunset Dinner Train by corporate sources derived from strenuous marketing efforts, sorry, 
and the launch of the Shasta Sunset Dinner Frame by corporate successor McLeod Railway Company held oblivion at bay. In between all this, the railroad became best known for its steam excursion programs, which operated on and off for six decades, and 406 incentive per diem boxcars that spread the McLeod name and logo to all corners of the North American continent. The McLeod Railway still clings to existence as of this preservation, but it's a shadow of its former self, with months and sometimes years passing between train movements. Several parties are working on plans that may yet spark a revival of the remaining railroad. Next up, From the Desert to the Sea, Railroading in the L.A. Scene, by Enrique Contreras. Um, Unfortunately, at least for me, this was probably my least favorite program. Um, Los Angeles railroading is, is, you name it, they have it. And this, this basically tried to show railroading in the Los Angeles area. Uh, it showed branch lines, it showed main lines, it showed uh, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Um, it showed, it, it, it made an attempt to take a, look at, take a look at contemporary railroading in the Los Angeles basin with a creative eye. Um, if I recall correctly, a lot of the music was um, rap, which I don't mind. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't mind rap music, but it, in, in many places it just did not fit uh, the scenes that we're showing. Um, a lot of interesting photographs showing the backside of L.A., going down branch lines, going in between buildings, uh, going through areas that probably most normal people would never consider going in, in, the, night t- in, in the broad daylight, much less nighttime. And, and it also showed some mainline railroading. Uh, it was, like I said, it, it, the, the, that particular program just really did not, um, just, just didn't do anything for me. Uh, the photography was great. Uh, you know, like I said, there were a lot of scenes from areas that, that most normal people would, like I said, not even consider going. But there, that was it. So that ended uh, Winter Rail 2016. Um, it was finished at 9.48, and we returned to our cars and to our hotel, and were looking forward to a new day and for um, Bob and I, a new steam engine. And with that, we'll take a break, and we will be right back. Hear that? That's the sound of new homes being built in Windsor, Colorado. That's stores and restaurants opening. That's people punching in at a new job. And that is a freight train, a big reason why so much is happening in Weld County. I'm Weld County Commissioner Sean Conway. Over the last three years, our county has seen economic growth and job creation. I'm Jason Mortensen, the Logistics Process Manager for Vestas. We're the world's leading manufacturer of wind turbines. Our four new plants in Colorado employ over 1,700 people. We built here because access to freight rail helps us move our turbines to market. When large companies like Vestas come, so do suppliers, other businesses, and more jobs. It's what economists call the ripple effect. I call it the freight rail effect. Freight rail, delivering goods and materials to every corner of America. 
and bringing jobs and economic growth along for the ride. Visit FreightRailWorks.org. And we're back with the Let's Talk Train show. This is Elizabeth and Bob Olkaya, and we are discussing the 38th edition of Winter Rail, which occurred March the 19th, 2016. So it was another early start on the Sunday morning, the first day of spring, and we, um, Chris and I, well, the two Chrises um, came to our hotel, and we followed them over to Tillamook. Um, and then up to Garibaldi for the steam excursion. So we um, stopped very briefly in Tillamook, so Chris could get a picture of his um, a picture of the Tillamook Air Museum and housed in the World War II blimp hangar. After a stop in McDonald's in Tillamook for breakfast, um, we proceeded on to Garibaldi, where the um, there were going to be two trains that day our steam train excursion plus the regular train powered by Great Northern uh, F7A 274. The excursion that we were riding, that we were going to ride for that day, was organized by Martin Hansen uh, as a charter. It is traditional that after rail fare, winter rail, winter rail, excuse me, winter rail, the Sunday after winter rail, there is a charter excursion. Uh, mostly uh, up until uh, last year, this was mostly on the Niles, Niles Canyon Railway. But with no winter rail in California, we needed a new post excursion, winter rail excursion. So Martin Hansen and the Oregon Coast Scenic put together a, a nice little excursion running from Garibaldi up to Wheeler, a distance of about 31 miles. Round trip. Round about since, yeah, distance of about 31 mile round trip with the McLeod River Railroad steamer to to uh, 25. Yes, a 262, mm-hmm. an Alco 262. So I got up to Garibaldi. As it turned out, we had um, having after having had beautiful weather Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we got up to Garibaldi, and it was raining. Yes, it wasn't pouring, but it was drizzling and. Sometimes necessitated an umbrella. Just enough to make the trip interesting. Yes. So the consist of our train, for those who are interested, was naturally a steam engine, number 25, a flat car, um, Oregon Coast Scenic Coach, 2127 Wilson River, which I believe was a former Southern Pacific coach. Commuter car. Um, a baggage car, 266, which had, um, a, it was an open, back, well, open baggage car, open compartments. Um, a former RDC that ran on the New Jersey Transit, and an open-air car. And also in the little yard area in Garibaldi was uh, the Port of Tillamook Bay GP9-101, which is commonly referred to as the cow locomotive because it is black and white and reminds one of a Jersey cow. Jersey. Jersey, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Garibaldi has a little station, um, Paulson Logging Company 282 number 90 on display, and a railroad and lumberman's museum uh, housed inside a passenger car mm-hmm. and a Southern Pacific caboose. 
we boarded the train and got ready. Or as, as people boarded the train, we circulated throughout the train. Um, and, and with everybody on board, off we went. At a breakneck speed, this train travels. Um, I was occasionally checking the speedometer in the RDC car, which was actually working. Um, and we were doing the uh, manic, manic speed of 15 miles per hour over most of the track, um, except for a couple of places where they'd had uh, some washouts from some slides. And there we got down to 5 or 10 miles an hour. Um, there were a few people out chasing us. Uh, just about every house we went by had people looking out the windows or standing out on their, their decks, waving at us, taking pictures. Um, we went through uh, Rockaway. Rockaway Beach, where at this point we were right next to the uh, the ocean, and it was very rough ocean. Uh, they were expecting a major storm coming in Monday, and you could see from the waves that it was uh, we were looking at probably six or eight foot swells uh, coming onto the onto the beach. We continued heading north um, on our train. Very uneventful trip. Very nice. Very pleasant trip. Uh, had some uh, interesting conversations with some of the people riding the train. Got up to uh, Wheeler. <clears throat> detrained for about 15 minutes, where they took the locomotive off. Milk worked it up, took it up about, uh, oh, maybe 30, 40 feet, hooked it up to a fire hydrant, and watered the tender, and did some servicing on the locomotive. We had about a 15-minute stop. After that, we all boarded back up on the train, went a little ways further north up to a the bridge across the Nahalem, the Nahalem River. Yes. Um and had a couple of photo runbys. Uh, we detrained on the bridge. Uh, we looked, took the walkway along the bridge and then walked down. Uh, quite steep. Quite steep hill, muddy hill, <laughs> to the uh, site along the river where we took our photos for the photo runby. And we had two photo runbys, and they were all they were both excellent. From there, we all reboarded. They backed the train up to Wheeler, just outside of Wheeler, where they ran the steam locomotive around the the train, and then couldn't get the switch open to switch us back onto the main line. So after about 15 minutes or so, they finally managed to get the switch uh, stand to open up, open up the switch, back the uh, train onto the main line, couple it up, and Again, back to, Garib or back to Garibaldi. Uh, again, a very uneventful trip, but a nice, enjoyable trip. Um, standing out in the rain when we were standing out there, or riding in the uh, the warmth of the RDC car. We arrived back in Garibaldi about one thirty, um, two o'clock. No, one between one and one thirty. I don't exactly remember when. Okay. Uh, and from there, it was time to head home. Yes. So 
Chris left and drove to Portland Airport and flew home. And um, we drove up the Oregon coast, along the Oregon coast to Astoria, where we had a wonderful lunch at the uh, Silver Salmon restaurant, and then headed back east along the Oregon side of the Columbia River on U.S. Highway 30 to Longview, crossed over the Columbia, crossed over the Columbia, got on I-5, and returned back to Linwood. All in all, we had a wonderful trip. Yes. Um, yes, and we are definitely going to be going to um, Winter Rail next year. Um, and mark your calendars. It will be Saturday, March 18th, 2017, in Corvallis, Oregon. Right. And um, got back Sunday night, and then I was... Um, informed on Monday that um, a very good friend of mine suddenly passed away on that Friday. Um, I'll just, if I may, we, we have some time. I just want to do a little tribute to my friend Richard Isles. I met Richard about 22 years ago, um, and if it, wasn't, if it hadn't been for him, I would not have um, learned about railways and become a rail fan not only to the extent that I am, but would not have become a rail fan at all. Um, I had attended a heritage fair, saw a stall for the Roundhouse Museum Society, and attended one of their meetings, and even though I didn't know what they were talking about, they were mentioning bud cars, I had no idea what that was at that point. But I had a number of good ideas, and Richard, who was at that time the chairman of the Roundhouse Museum Society, pulled me aside and asked me if I'd like to be secretary, because I am a secretary by profession, and trustee. Well, at 23 years old, and knowing almost nothing, but I said yes, and that was the start of a long friendship with him. Um, he taught me a lot about North American and British Railways, he introduced me to going over to the Burnaby, which is a suburb of Vancouver. Well, it's a, its own separate municipality, but it's near Vancouver, British Columbia. And um, attending their twice-yearly model railway shows or swap meets, and then going rail fanning. Uh, he had a friend or, um, who was the CP diesel inspector at the Coquitlam Yards and would... Um, we would sign a release and then go around the yards photographing um, locomotives, and that's where I got my interest in least, least power and um, got a few special things done with locomotives that only Ken could do. Um, Richard also had a, many interests, including civil aviation and big band music, and I would spend countless hours in the evenings and on weekends at his house cataloging his incredible collection of LPs, over 700 books, and the like. Uh, it was a great shock of Richard's passing, and we're actually going to a celebration of life tomorrow for him. Um, I just thank him for being a good friend, helping me, supporting me, and um, teaching me, until I, knew, until I met Bob, everything I knew about railways. And with that, I think we can bring this uh, show to a close.
but Baldur's shaking his head. So nope. over to you. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Then we're going to come back and may have some final comments about Winter Rail and then sign off. This is the Association of American Railroads audio service. And today we're reporting on the early days of America's railroads. When the first railroads began operating in the United States in 1830, the entire nation had a population of a little less than 13 million people. Most of them lived in communities or on farms huddled near the Atlantic coast or along navigable rivers that fed into it. Inland, there were great natural resources, good land for farming, forests enough to provide shelter for millions, mineral wealth beyond imagination. But those resources were largely untapped. In fact, the entire region west of the Mississippi River had a population less than that of today's Richmond, Virginia. The railroad would change all of that. As tracks were laid west from the Atlantic, new towns sprang up. Industry and commerce developed. Agricultural production increased. Mountains, rivers, distance, these were no longer insurmountable barriers to trade and travel. Railroads conquered them all and in the process helped transform the United States from an agrarian society into a mighty industrial giant that spanned an entire continent. For the Association of American Railroads, this is Tom White in Washington. And we're back. This is Bob Alkire along with my wife Elizabeth, and we're going to wrap up with uh, our visit to the first ever winter rail in Corvallis, Oregon. All in all, we had a great time. Um, from heading down on Thursday, being able to ride uh, several Portland TriMet area max lines. Uh, getting collecting new mileage, collecting additional mileage on ride, lines we've ridden. First time riding the uh, West Side Express DMU. Elizabeth having a chance to uh, ride Amtrak Cascades from Edmonds to Portland. It was um, the the shows as usual were all fantastic. This is um, this, this was our third winter rail that we'd been to. And we have immensely enjoyed every one. Um, was this one a success? By every stretch of the, imagina the imagination from everything I heard, yes, it was. Um, Corvallis High School Auditorium, although probably maybe two-thirds of the size of the one at the Scottish Rite Center in Stockton, a way better venue than the Scottish Rite Center. Um, 652 people. The seats were wonderfully comfortable. Um, the setup was worked out great. Evan, as I said earlier, Evan Workma worked his magic in keeping everything flowing and working together, uh, presenting shows, uh, coordinating the Friday night slideshow at the pizza, after the pizza party. Um, the sound system worked. You could hear everything. 
the um, the, the the screen where the the pictures were flashed upon. You could actually see the pictures. It didn't have all these annoying little um, tears and rips and spots on the screen that they've had at, at that the uh, that they've had at Stockton. Uh, the vendors, probably about maybe a fourth of the vendors that we have seen at past winter rails, but from uh, talking to Steve Barry and a couple of other people, the vendors were just overjoyed with the way things were laid out. They said that even though there were probably there were not as many vendors, they said they did a the smaller venue made and the way the the vendor tables were arranged, they made more money than they did at the uh, this Stockton. In fact, they said it, even though it wasn't as good as the best years in Stockton, it was way better than the uh, the, the the last few years or the worst years in Stockton. So, most of the vendors will be back, and. Hopefully, they will be able to attract some new vendors, some additional vendors, as the word spreads around. One other thing, it was nice to see an emphasis on Pacific Northwest programs. Not that I am not fond of California, I am, but being in this, living up here in the Pacific Northwest, having the uh, having winter rail in the Pacific Northwest, it was really nice to see the emphasis being placed on presentations and presenters from the Pacific Northwest. And finally, one last thing, it was wonderful to see so many people there that we hadn't seen or that we hadn't seen in a long time. Um and it was fantastic to be able to see a bunch of new people that we knew that hadn't come down to to um Winter Rail in California. Always nice to see Scott Lotus again from the Center for Rail Heritage and Photography. Uh, always nice to see Steve Barry from Railfan and Railroad Magazine. Always nice to see L. Ron Lawrence. Uh, he has been a guest here on Let's Talk Trains and always look forward to his presentations at Winter Rail. Uh, as I said, the few, uh, a number of people that, that we um, hadn't seen, that we've known, that live up here. Uh, once again, nice to see Stan, uh, Stan Hunter. Yes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And um, Robert Del Grosso, Robert Del Grosso, who had been absent from a, a number of the previous rail fairs, uh, promoting his his new line of products. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see who else was there that we can we can mention. Give a give a shameless plug to. Um. Well, there's. Uh, I mean, the Oregon Coast Scenic had a booth there. Oh, yes, they did. Um, as did the Sumter Valley Railway. Yes. Um. Four Ways West brought their books up, a number of their books. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, uh, there were the uh, um, number of the usual vendors selling uh, railway uh, memorabilia. Robert Morris, um, more commonly known to train orders, subscribes as Photo Bob. He, had, he was there with all his black and white photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we'll see next year when we go down, we'll see a few more uh, vendors. Uh, it would be nice to see the Pacific Northwest Railway Museum up in Snoqualmie come down. Um, hopefully, the uh, we'll bring be able to bring down some some flyers to 
from the Great Northern and Cascade and the Fraser Valley Heritage Railway Society up in British Columbia and um, Skycomish, Washington. So, all in all, a most enjoyable weekend, uh, and we are... And thank you to Chris Ginsler for organizing our act, um, trip from or in Poland, uh, the uh, private visits with Arlen Sheldrake at, at the Oregon Rail Heritage Center and the um, Covered Bridges Station steam engines um, trip from Portland to Corvallis as well as what we did uh, Saturday morning. And that's it for this issue of Let's Talk Train Show. I'm Bob Alkire. And I'm Elizabeth Alkire. And happy railroading, everybody. And happy Easter. Goodbye. Goodbye.